before we get into our teaching text for today, I wanted to say I am so glad that you are here. Whether you are with us every single week or if this is your first time, I want to let you know I love doing this and I love interacting with you when you send me questions during the week or, or a thought that something in our time together sparked in your own faith journey or in your own thinking. I love hearing about that. So whether you are, whether you completely agree with us or even if you don't agree with us and you're just checking out the church thing, I'm so glad you're here. There's space for you here and you're welcome. We want you to be a part of our community. So don't be afraid to put in comments and, and let us know uh, how you're processing this. And uh, we, we love this interaction. And for the first few weeks of 2021, or 20, 2022, sorry about that, a uh, little COVID time warp there. For the first couple of weeks of this year, we've been using the story of Jeremiah and the southern kingdom of Israel about six or seven centuries before Christ. We've been using their story as a background to talk about this, this path ahead of us in 2022. And Jeremiah, his background was that he was a prophet. He was the heart revealer to this nation of, of revealing God's heart for this group of people. And he was known as the weeping prophet because he had a hard message to deliver. And this message actually tore him up inside. And the scriptures describe his, his message to these people that God loved so much. It described it as fire shut up in his bones. And these, these people in the kingdom of Judah were close to disaster. They were wanting to go down a path that would put them on par with all of their neighbors and doing things like the cultures and religions around them. And Jeremiah's his task was to tell these people, return to the Lord and repent. Like if we're going this way, clinging to political power and comfort and, and, and making all of our choices centered around those things and prestige, we're on the edge of disaster. Guys, listen, we're at a fork in the road. And on one hand, this, this road that led towards power and cultural significance, if, if they held on to it, they were going to lose it, said the Lord. But if they chose to follow God and not cling to power and cultural significance, the promise on the other end of that was that the whole tribe would be rejuvenated, that, that there would be life and a deep soul level rest. And we see it in Jeremiah 6.16. It's been our theme verse. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So this alternate option for Judah at this fork in the road was to choose the ancient path. Now, this ancient path, as we've talked about, is not a literal road. This is a way of life and a way of being that hungers and thirsts for God's wisdom above all else, no matter what else is going on. In a Proverbs 2 kind of way, it talks about wisdom as this hidden treasure that you search for. In a Jesus kind of way that talks about it like this good life is like a treasure hidden in a field. Following the ancient path is cultivating a deep desire to live aligned with truth, no matter the cost. 
And it's a pilgrimage where we grow on the way. And it's, it's a paradox because it embraces possible discomfort and never seeking out ridicule or persecution, but it doesn't shy away from it either. And it's, it's not intuitive to us as humans. It takes rewiring of our brains. It takes rewiring of our, our habits and ingrained things from our own nature, and our own DNA, but also things that we've picked up from the culture around us. And we've talked about how the first step on this journey is, is coming to terms with the fact that God is God and we are not. And if you're watching this with your spouse, I hope you didn't elbow them to the side and say, see, I've been telling you that for you. Like, it's for everybody. And it's especially for those of us who are tempted to elbow our loved ones when we say God is God and we are not. But the second step for this is, uh, is taking this further and saying like, we need to live in line with reality as God ordered it in the universe. And we can't edit the truth just because it suits our, to, to suit our comfort or to suit our tastes. God defines truth, right and wrong, the best way to live. And we looked at this beautiful passage in Genesis chapter three, that the core of Adam and Eve's sin, it wasn't about the fruit, uh, but it was defining right and wrong for themselves and introduce some new language. And you can go and, and these are all on YouTube and they're on uh, podcast as well. But for it's important for our discussion today to keep in, in the back of our minds this language of someone who follows the ancient path, uh, submits to God as a follower of Jesus Christ and not a mere admirer. There are two ends of the extreme. We can admire Jesus and even believe some of the things that, that he says and still not follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus desires to be more than a mere consultant in our lives. Jesus wants us to be more than fans of Jesus, but to be a true follower of Jesus is to trust in the truth of God's word revealed in Jesus, but also in scripture. And in this reality of the culture that we live in, we live in a post-Christian society. And it's not just out here in, in California, like the whole culture is moving away from, from the true north of, of orienting our lives towards the truth, that, the truth, <laughs> what God says. And the likelihood is that days are coming where the cost of following Jesus will be higher and higher. And won't be easy, uh, but I see this. And uh, we have examples throughout church history of, of these times where, where God uses these, these moments where the cost of following Jesus becomes more costly, and God uses these times and, and uses it to prune things, prune away things that aren't, um, that aren't fruitful. Uh, so this time can, is hard, but it can be good. I want you to hold on to that, to, to not say the sky is falling, but say this is hard, but God is refining and molding his church and can refine and mold us so we can, we can let go of things in our own lives that aren't fruitful and we can follow Jesus more faithfully together and go down this ancient path that God has for us. And the further we go down either the ancient path or the popular path, the more they diverge and the further away they get from each other. 
the more countercultural our lives look. And we've been exploring for the past few weeks what this looks like for us to go down the ancient path together. What does it mean for us to be a church that's in the world and loves the world, but we don't act like everybody else and we still follow Jesus? So with all that being said, let's turn to today's teaching text. It's in Genesis chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. The Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him. This is one of my favorite passages of, uh, uh, that, that reoccurs in literature. It's, it's uh, a, a massive passage for the Jewish faith. It's a massive pa- uh, passage for the Christian faith as well. And just a, a little bit about Abram's background in Mesopotamia. We see in Genesis chapter 11, his, his, uh, his father left Haran and, and went towards, uh, or left Ur, Uh, in Iraq and went to Turkey and Haran. But in Genesis 11, it says they were already on the way to Canaan, but they stopped in this land of Ur. And and historians tell us this, even though it was ancient, I mean, this is centuries and centuries before Christ. The historians warn us, don't think of these people as really, uh, to use a crude word, really primitive. Like Haran had running water and a thriving economy and art and culture. And then Abram gets this call to leave. It would have been, a, in his day and age, it would have been a backwards move. You're leaving culture and city life and, and forward progress. And you're going to a land that, that there was nothing. We, we know now with the benefit of hindsight that he was going towards Canaan, and it was it was not it was not Ur and Haran. This is the country, and and God says, leave leave these things, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father, leave all of these things behind, and go to the land that I will show you. And notice that progression there. Leave your geography, all these people that are going on the popular path, and go towards this this path of following me into the wilderness, into the unknown. Leave your people behind, your, your culture. All these, these people that are, that are living away and God's saying, I'm, I wanna set you apart. I wanna leave this culture and leave your father's house. Even leave behind your familial identity. And he took his family with him, but it's like a way of God saying, I'm going to give you a first and foremost familial identity in me. You're going to be God's family first. He's leaving all of these things behind and going to the land that God will show him. If I were to sum it up, God's saying, I want to do something new. I want to do something new through you and your descendants. Uh, and, And I want to separate you and put you aside for the purpose of blessing everyone on the planet Earth. And we see in that first part of verse four, it says, and Abram went that line there is a move away from the 
Mesopotamian philosophy was that history just goes in cycles and the same events keep happening. It's different people, different kingdoms, but humanity is just doomed to the spiral of over and over again. And uh, the historian Thomas Cahill says this is that in that word, that's where the seeds of Western civilization came from, a break from 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 the cyclical view of history to this progression of okay, we're going to go out and and do something new. So I've got a question for you. If God appears to you and gives you that kind of command, what would you do? <laughs> leave leave what's what's familiar to you, your language, your culture, your your foods. I remember living in Japan for one year. Marie and I were uh, missionary English teachers and as as it came time for our first break, I could almost smell real New York style pizza, even though there was none around. And that's what I ate for two weeks while we were home. It wasn't good for me. But leaving everything that's familiar to follow God, to leave your reputation behind, to maybe follow God and leave possible business opportunities behind because they're unethical or, or it's just not the right time. Or you get a sense of God saying, no, I've got something different. Follow me and obey me. What would? What do you do? How do you work through that? So moving forward in history a little bit, we come to the late 1500s and we have this, this kind of history called the Nuremberg Chronicles following the, the bubonic plague in Europe. Uh, and I've been perusing through this lately and re, uh, reading how Europe in this, in this time was stuck the church was stagnating and, and going towards um, a lot of unethical practices, uh, architecture and science. There was still stuff going on, but there was this almost embedded malaise baked into European culture that it was a stagnant thing, and it was almost contagious all over Europe. But then the Europeans, someone sent out, uh, sent out an explorer, and Europe realized North America existed <laughs> and everything changed in European culture. The world got bigger. And uh, Rabbi Edwin Friedman, who is, is just an amazing mind, he connects these ideas that, that within 50 years of, the, of Europe discovering that North America existed, you've got Michelangelo sculpting David, you've got Martin Luther reforming the church and, and nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. You've got all of this, this uh, new life springing up and Europe found itself in the Renaissance because they, the, there was a group of people that realized the world is much bigger, much bigger than, than we even realized. And Friedman connects these two ideas that the dawn of the Renaissance and the discovery of North America, those things are intimately linked. And Friedman goes on to say, and we're going to use this uh, in, in a right side by side with Abram and, and his going and following God to the land that God would show Abram. This is interconnected. Friedman says that, that people are deeply interrelated. And, and we have a much bigger effect on us than we even realize on each other. Families are deeply interconnected. Churches are deeply interconnected. 
we, we rub off on each other. Anxiety, hope, like for better and for worse. And this, this you can expand this to the national level, <laughs> things like Congress, uh, t- sports teams, businesses are all deeply emotionally connected. And Friedman says, when chronic anxiety takes root in a group of people, they can stop dreaming. They lose the ability to imagine a brighter future. And I get the image of of our culture, uh, this internet culture, not even just in in the West, but now it's kind of this monoculture with the internet of so many of us in the world on a treadmill. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of effort being put in, but it seems like so many of us are just on a tread whip, treadmill and work, trying to work our anxiety out, but just doing it by trying to work harder or, or, or suck it up. And when, when our thinking is limited by chronic anxiety and that, that takes root, the whole system is stuck. We've seen this, uh, I've seen this with my, my, my personal favorite sports team. You know, there was just this anxiety stuck and it took bringing in some new players. It took a new coach, even though everyone loved the old coach. And all of a sudden, there's hope for a brighter future. You've probably seen this at work uh, for the good and hopefully for, for the better too. Uh, these, these dynamics can sneak into school boards, marriages, nations, families can get stuck. And the way forward, according to Friedman, requires someone to get enough emotional distance from the group so they start imagining a way out. You know, uh, in a broken, toxic family, it takes someone with the courage to show up for a vision for a different way. Uh, I've mentioned athletics before. Uh, there's a great example of this. For, for, for years, uh, the prevailing thought in track and field was that a sub-four-minute mile in track and field was humanly impossible. But then Roger Bannister went out and ran four-minute mile, you know, fastest ever. And the crazy thing is, in the next year, four more people did it too. So this is a big deal. Uh, according to Friedman, this, this ability to separate oneself from the group, but still be attached to the group. And the fancy word for it in the Friedman way is it's called differentiation. So if you're taking notes, uh, write that word down, emotional differentiation. And this kind of person has clarity about the goals and values. This kind of person in, for our purposes, is someone who is walking the ancient path and knows the truth and has the, the, the grit and the nerve to keep following God and obeying God, no matter what else, no matter what the group is doing. And this kind of person who has differentiation, this kind of person isn't dependent on the group for their emotional well-being. You know, we see this with Jesus. He can enter into a situation where there's anxiety and, and um, the religious leaders are trying to trap him. And he has people in, in his own group of disciples who disagree. You have zealots, let's just go and kill all the Romans or uh, tax collectors. Let's just, let's not make waves. And Jesus doesn't get swayed one way or the other and keeps following and obeying his heavenly father. This kind of person can be described, and I love these terms. I, they're new to me in the past couple years. This kind of person displays a calm and non-anxious presence. I think about Jesus sometimes. He, he, he seems like a Jedi, and he's not thrown off 
by attacks. He's not thrown off by bribes. He's not thrown off by his own family saying, uh, you need to tone this down. You're acting crazy. No, he knew who he was and he knew the truth and he followed it. So these emotionally differentiated people um, are a little bit of a paradox. And I already mentioned that they're emotionally separated to a healthy degree while they're still connected to the group. Abram, here's this, here's this, uh, this call of God saying, you need to leave all this stuff because I'm going to go do something new in the world. You need to separate from the culture so we can transform the global world and do something new. So this kind of person who can do this uh, it allows them to change the group. I love the saying in English. We have that saying that says, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? This is a, a description of a non-differentiated family system. Uh, differentiation is not disconnection. Now, sometimes you're in a, a system that is toxic and um, and a family system, work system, maybe a religious community that's toxic, and you need to disconnect uh, for a while to protect your own boundaries. But disconnection is not always the answer, and that's not differentiation. Disconnection completely gives up influence and, and says, okay, we're done with you. Uh, on the other hand, differentiation is not overly connected and uh, completely merged with the group. That means it's too connected. When someone's merging with the family, with, uh, with a, a big group or a, a, a large tribe, the, the anxiety and that lack of imagination, it dictates that person's terms of happiness. And, and they're only happy if mama's happy. So again, differentiation is emotionally separate in a healthy way, but it remains connected to the group for the benefits of others. So this totally connects to our, our conversation that we had last week with Jesus. Are we a follower of Jesus or are we an admirer of Jesus? And today we're talking about how we as a group of people here connected to Solid Ground Church, how do we relate to the world around us? Are we disconnected from it or are we merging with it? Or are we differentiating? Are we in the world, but not of the world? Uh, and the church, I mean, almost from the beginning, has struggled with this t the tension of getting this right. And for me, as a, as a kid raised in the church in the 90s, I mean, we would sing, I love, I still, guilty pleasure, 90s worship music. Oh my goodness, holiness, holiness, it's what I long for. Holiness, uh, hopefully you're singing along with me. Or if you're new here, well, by, if you haven't figured out we're a little bit crazy, um, now you know. But the, the, the emphasis was on the, the disconnect from the world. And there were Christian well-meaning, by the way. I'm going to pick on them a little bit, but I, I, I love this part too. Christ, well-meaning Christian marketers in my generation uh, put out a Christian equivalent to literally everything and especially music Ooh, you like guns and roses try the newsboys there was an actual poster in my youth group do you like in sync well try for him do you like the spice girls try point of grace and if you know any of those bands you know they're not 
the straight equivalent, all of them awesome bands on the Christian side of things. Uh, do you like to shop at Abercrombie and Fitch? Well, try this shirt. It says breadcrumb and fish. Like I had a lot of those clothes and it was effectively a strategy of disconnecting from mainstream culture. You don't like Mentos? Try Testaments, only available at your Christian bookstore. And I'm picking on it and I get that it was well-meaning, uh, well-meaning, but what this wound up ha uh, producing, uh, domino effect, especially in my generation, is an overcorrection. Uh, we were taught to only disconnect from the world, but then when we're finding like actual bridges in the culture that were good and pure and true and right, but they didn't come from a, a, a Christian record label, uh, we, we, we overcorrect and said, okay, uh, well, that's not bad. So everything else must be okay. And there were so many uh, that in, in, in my class that just said, all right, we're going to go from the other extreme of disconnecting with the world and spend our 20s and 30s completely merging with the world. And we're going to swallow everything the culture has to throw at us, whether it's movies, entertainment, or just lifestyle. And that's not healthy either. So what does it look like for us to avoid disconnecting or merging for our culture? Well, first off, I think it means that we need to learn as individuals and as a church how to differentiate. I've said it again. God wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, that we can be a healthy, modifying presence that we can be like, like in a body like white blood cells, but not doing the same things that the virus or bacteria, the harmful ones are doing, but we, we bring health for the sake of the whole world. You know, in, uh, in the tribe that we belong to, it's called the Brethren in Christ. And I'm willing to bet a bunch of you haven't heard of that and that's totally okay. But we belong to this network of churches and I love having the support and the covering of uh, we're not just out here doing it alone, but one of the one of the things that we value is 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 making disciples and getting people to follow the ancient paths, but with the constant reminder that we're not doing it merely for the people in the walls of our church. We exist for the world to show the world how to walk, walk the ancient path, to show the world that there's a different way of living where we don't have to pull people down and step over people on the ladder of success or, or just uh, buy into the polarization in our culture. Like we, we're doing this for the sake of others. And that's embedded in our teaching text today. God wasn't blessing Abraham just so he could live high on the hog and put life in cruise control. Abram and his descendants, God wanted to bless them so that that would overflow to the whole world. Uh, materially for sure, but spiritually and emotionally uh, and so, that they, so that the whole world could walk the ancient path. This whole deal is, is for the benefit of others. So we've talked about not merging and not disconnecting. So how do you and I handle that tension? Because it would be so much easier to pick one extreme or the other, you know, Apart from the kingdom of God, you know, on this planet, we are wanderers. I love in the text, 
uh, as, as, uh, as the, the Hebrews were, were settling into uh, the promised land. Uh, there's this uh, phrase in their worship and their liturgy where they would remind themselves that our father was a wandering Aramean. And they're talking about uh, uh, the artist formerly known as Abram. They were talking about this journey, that he was a sojourner. And it's this metaphor for us. Like on this world, we're always going to uh, have something that just doesn't fit perfectly. And instead of going like, oh, we don't have any place. Like, no, we have a place in the kingdom of God. That's our true home. And when we feel that tension, that we don't fit perfectly in any nation or political system or, or office when, when we're outside of the kingdom of God, that's actually a good thing. It reminds us that heaven is our home, that, that, that you know, we're just passing through here. Like we're, and we're actually following God when we're feeling like that. That's a sign that we're following God like Abram did. Not just leaving family identity and geography and cultural identity, but following God first and foremost and putting that as our priority. And we're identifying first and foremost as followers of Jesus Christ. That's who we are and that's who God says we are. And it's okay that we're different. We're Christians. And I was thinking through this in my own life. I'm not not thinking of any one person, but I was thinking since politics have been such a big deal in the past, well, my goodness, forever, it seems like. But we feel the, the polarization more acutely. Just a good litmus test for us. Like if we don't don't have like one or two things about our political party of choice, not just picking on the Democrats, not just picking on the Republicans. If there's one or two things in there that don't say like, mm, I can't, I don't really sign up for that. I can't just, you know, put my signature on everything they do. It may be a sign that we're not putting our identity first and foremost in Jesus Christ. Because if we're following the ancient path, we're in this liminal kind of in-between space. And it requires a tremendous amount of relational fortitude. You can't follow the ancient path alone. That's why it's so important that we gather together like this and remind each other, like, okay, we can make it. When things are, things are going to come up in your own personal life. Things are going to happen in, in our culture that will tempt you to either okay, I'm just going to go along with what everyone else is doing. It's easier that way. Or they may tempt you to say, okay, I'm going to go get a bunker somewhere and just be a hermit and, and not talk to anybody else again so I can just have some sanity. Like we're supposed to do life together. And I don't mean that in a trite way. Like we, we don't have to walk this path alone. We can encourage one another's prayer life and our inner life, uh, prayer and spiritual disciplines, but also just down to the practical life of saying, hey, how you doing? Calling someone up. You doing okay? What's going on? Uh, we get through this and we have this large body of research now over the past couple of weeks, especially from the Barna Group that are saying the people who during the pandemic who've had the highest degree of mental health are people who have a community, especially a faith community that they meet with regularly and people who are serving because that gives us a, a, this life-giving uh, model of we're around other people, other imperfect people who are trying to follow this path. And it, 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 I love how the book of Hebrews says it, it provokes 
us to good works. We have people to model it for us and, and give us community, but also to put their arms around us when we're going through a hard time and refresh us. That's, that's my dream for, for those of us, whether it's in person or online, is that, that we would grow deeper together and, and meet each other and interact with one another and encourage one another. Um, we need this in our life deeply. So as we come to the end of our time together, I want you to consider your posture towards the world. Where are you on the spectrum? Are you merging or are you disconnecting? Uh, where, where are you? Or are you moving towards differentiation where you're still, a, you care for people and you love for people, but your happiness isn't dependent on their approval, on their, on their emotional state? Because uh, when we're dependent on the group or the family's emotional state, like our, our happiness level is gonna be yo-yoing up and down. Are we tempted to just live in a Christian bubble or are we tempted to just overly merge with the ways of the world and say, I know the path I should walk on, but this one, I'm just tired. I'm just, I give up. I'm going to do things like everyone else. Where does Jesus fit in your life? Hebrews 12, 12, uh, 12 this is a paraphrase, but it calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He wants us to live holy and separate from the world without forgetting that Jesus quite literally gave his life for the world. So imagine right now, I invite you to just close your eyes and imagine Jesus hanging on the cross, hanging in between heaven and earth. He's separate. This Jesus who came for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that everyone would have eternal life. Where does this Jesus fit in your life? Is he at the center? Is he the filter? Every word, every thought, every action is filtered through? Or is he on the periphery? Is he, is he just a consultant that you, you look to every now and then? Where does this Jesus fit? This Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to be different, to follow his path. And so you can follow him for others. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together and for everyone right now that is feeling like they just want to disconnect. Everyone that feels hurt, tired, anxious. God, right now, will you use us as a community to remind them that there is a light at the end of this tunnel that you are moving this creation to a place, Revelation 21, where heaven and earth collide. Someday there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more guilt, no more shame. Help us to come alongside and refresh our hurting brothers and sisters, our weary brothers and sisters. God, for those of us that, that wanna disconnect or just merge, God, will you, will you speak to our hearts right now? Will you light up our path? and reinvigorate us to do what we can't do on our own and to obey you and follow you into the land that you will show us. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So, Solid Ground Church, 
We love you guys. If you need anything uh, until we're together again, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at sgbic.com. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.